chapter 10, so if you've got your Bible or maybe you've got your um, Bible app on your phone, if you've got the app, you can pull up and go to events, find Church of Cane Bay, the notes will be right there, Um, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, Um, excited to dig into God's Word as we kick off a new series this morning, Um, but we've had kind of an interesting time over the last uh, few weeks in our household. My oldest daughter has begun to lose her teeth. Um, for the first time. So it's kind of a big deal. Like she lost her first tooth a few weeks ago and uh, it was this huge deal. We were so excited and and she came home and it happened while she was at school and she came home and um, so we celebrated and we were like, hey, you know, put it under your pillow and in the morning we'll see what what happens. And so we did that whole process and magically in the morning uh, there was money under her pillow. And this, I mean, you have no idea how big of a deal this is because this is the first time that this girl has ever had like her own money before. So it was this huge deal. And it wasn't but like a week later where she lost her second tooth, the one right next to it. So put it under the pillow again. Next morning, magically, there's money there. I love it because the first time she said she wanted, she asked for coins. And so these coins magically appear. The second time um, she got a dollar bill and was really disappointed um, because before she had just got like a quarter, a dime, and a nickel, but um, but then the dollar bill was a disappointing thing. Um, so it's kind of fun, and we, we were just enjoying the whole process. And uh, one day we were sitting down just as a family, and I hear her say, Dad, but it's like pretty like muffled. And so I look over to her, and she's got her hands in her mouth, and she's like, can I pull out the rest of my teeth? And we were like, no, that's a terrible idea. You don't want to do that. Um, That would be horrible. And we figured out pretty quickly, like, this is the only income stream that she's ever had, right? And so to her, pulling teeth out of her mouth equals money. And so she wants to capitalize on this. And so we're like, okay, we need to start this allowance thing. You're going to start getting money. You don't have to pull your teeth out to get money. You'll get money every week. It'll be great. You'll look forward to it. So we started this whole thing. And I realized looking back on it that can I pull more of my teeth out of my mouth? It's not a great question, right? Like she could have probably if she had worked long enough on it. um, She probably could have. But the better question was should I? more teeth out of my mouth. And I think about that and think about how sometimes we ask the wrong question when it comes to life. And we find ourselves in different circumstances, usually not the whole teeth scenario, but we're probably asking questions like, can I go and spend a lot of money on a true HD 4K LED curved Samsung TV, which sounds a lot like ordering at Starbucks or whatever, but like we, we ask this question, can we do that? And the, the answer is, Sure, like you could do that. But a better question is, should I go and spend $3,000 on something that's going to hang on my wall? And if you think about it that way, the right answer is probably, probably not. I guess it depends on what's going on with your finances, but it might not be the wisest decision. And in life, sometimes we ask the wrong questions. We don't think about asking the right kind of question, should I do something? But instead, we're focused on this can I? And we can do lots of things, but should we do those things is a whole other question. And as we move into Luke chapter 10, um, what's interesting is that Jesus finds himself in a conversation where a guy comes to him and asks him the wrong question. And it's this wrong question that's going to help us kick off and start uh, this new sermon series. And so if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, let's look in Luke chapter 10. 
And we're going to be starting in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And so this expert of the law answers and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that's the question I want us to look at this morning, because I do think that it is an important question, and it's one that we need to answer, and the goal for us all today is that we're going to answer that question. But if I could lay all my cards out on the table and be really honest with you this morning as we get started, I want to tell you that it's the wrong question. That this guy is coming to Jesus and he's asking the wrong question. It's not the best question that he could be asking in this scenario, but still... The answer is important for us. And, and when you look at it, what, what's great about the story is as, as Jesus asks him, well, how do you interpret the law? How do you read it? The guy gets that right. He gets that first answer right. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the right answer to what Jesus asked him. But verse 29 tells us that this guy, moving forward in the conversation, It says that he's desiring to justify himself, that he wants to to look right or to do the right thing. And that's when he asks this question, who is my neighbor? Now, we know about him, the Bible calls him a lawyer or an expert on the law. And basically what that means is that he's kind of a, a religious leader of the day. And so he's this Jewish religious leader. And what we know about these guys is that they're constantly kind of adding on to the law that God gave them. And so God gave them the law, and these guys would take it, and they would kind of add nuances to it, addendums to it. They, they just multiplied it in a lot of big ways. And their whole goal in doing that was to create what, what we might call transactional events. And what I mean by that is basically where they, everything to them was a transaction between them and God. And so they would say to God, God, I'm going to do this thing so that I can be blessed. So whatever that thing is that is in the law or that they added to the law, we're going to do this thing so that you, God, will bless us. Or on the flip side, there's this thing that we shouldn't be doing or that maybe we shouldn't be doing. And so I'm going to go ahead and not do that thing. But the whole goal of not doing whatever that thing is so that God will bless them. And so they're doing things and not doing things in order to get something that they want from God. And that's what I mean by calling it transactional. They want to gain something out of this. And so they're going to do actions or not do actions so that they can receive from God. And this guy is in this very same situation because as he hears that he needs to love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and mind and love his neighbor as himself, he's thinking in that mindset. And he's thinking, okay, so as I have to think about this, like, I want to make sure that I'm going to handle this correctly so that I can get what I need to get from God. And so he's really looking at two different things with this. Number one, he's saying, well... Who do I have to love in order to get eternal life? So when he asks the question, who is my neighbor? He's saying, who do I have to love 
to get eternal life because I want eternal life. So who are the people that I have to love? And then number two, well, who can I not love and still get by? Who do I not have to love and still be able to get by? And you know what's so hard about realizing that about this guy? Is that I think most of us, though we would never, ever say it, probably live our lives under that kind of thinking. Probably live our lives thinking, okay, well, I know there are certain things that, like, I have to do as a Christian. I've got to go to church. I've got to maybe read my Bible occasionally. I've got to do these certain things. And I know there are things that I don't need to do. And, uh, you know, I've got these people who live next to me. And, and so, you know, maybe I, I can say hey to them. And maybe that's enough to get by. But, but, but you know, somebody else is going to take care of this. And I don't have to worry so much about it. And so we frame our minds the very same way. Even though we would never admit it and never say that that's how we think. We are so much like this guy. And so we're starting this new series today because I hope and, and we pray that we can begin to comprehend, one, why this is the wrong question, and then ask, what, what is the right question, and, and how do we begin to live in a way that glorifies God when it comes to our neighbors? And so we just finished up a series uh, last week, Charlie, for two weeks, walked through and asked this question, what's your why? Why do you do the things that you do? Why is your life going in the direction that you're going? What, what, what's the why for you, the reason that you do the things you do? And I hope and pray that you wrestled with that. And that's an exercise that you took seriously and really thought about that. And really over the course of this series, we're going to be looking at our what. We're going to be looking at what we need to be doing. What are the actions that we need to have? What are the ways that we live out our why? that God has called us to live out. And then all of that is pushing towards a launch for our missional communities uh, that we're going to be getting to moving into the fall. Our missional communities are groups that meet weekly uh, and semester systems fall and spring. They meet weekly in homes. And uh, each one has a defined mission in our community that God has called them to where they're saying, we're going we're gonna to take the gospel to this place and we're going to let people see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus in this scenario. And so you get together every week, you plan those things, you go and you live on mission together, and it's a really exciting thing. And, and I really think, like we say, that missional communities are the lifeblood of our church, that they're the most important thing that we do. And I really do believe that they are the strongest thing about Church of Cane Bay. And if you are a part of one, then you'll probably understand that and get that as well. But here's what our missional communities have done for us, I think. I think they've showed us an area of our church that's lacking. And it's one that we as your leadership have been struggling with and praying through for a while and trying to figure out uh, what, what do we do about this? How do we handle this? What does the Lord want us to do? And see, when I have conversations with other churches that want to do missional communities, I usually like have kind of like a little script that I walk through um, just because this stuff, I've said it so many times and it's in my head. And one of the things that I say about missional communities every time is that missional communities are a training ground for missionaries. That this is a place where people come to join a group, a large group, a safe place, and learn what it's like to live their life on mission. That they can come into this group setting and do mission together. It's kind of like going on a mission trip where you're in a group and you're doing mission together. Um, Here, we have groups that are doing mission together constantly, and so they're learning what it's like to be a missionary. But 
our hope and our goal is that by practicing that in our missional communities, that what happens is it begins to transition into our everyday lives. And so that we begin to live this principles of being a missionary in the context of our everyday life with our family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers that we are being missionaries because of the fact that we have learned in our missional communities. And what I think that we've begun to see over time is that we're not doing a great job at that transition. And I know that there are some people that are living those principles out, and we may try to live those principles out, but I think that's an area where we can do so much better as we begin to take those principles of mission and carry them over where we live, work, and play. We talk a lot here at Church of Cane Bay about that circle that's on the back wall, that five-mile circle, and that our goal is that every man, woman, and child in that circle would have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And that the way that we do that is through missional communities, through these groups that have defined missions in our community where they are expressing the hope and the love of Jesus to the people that are are there. And and I I certainly believe that we chip away with that, with missional communities, but I also think that there's another way, and honestly, it might even be a better way, that we could be doing that as well, and in addition to what we're doing with missional communities. And I think that's through our personal lives, that individually, we could be Expressing the hope of Jesus to the people who are in our lives. And see guys, what we have to understand is that that circle isn't the only circle that we have. But that each one of us in this room has our own personal circle. It's filled up with people that we work with, with our family, with people that we live close by to, with friends that we we interact with. And that if we could kind of push all those little circles together, and if we were expressing the gospel in there, that 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 circle would begin to fill up even more and more, and that the hope of the good news of Jesus would be spread even more throughout our circle. And it really comes down to that personal responsibility. See, it's not by chance that God put you where you live. It's not a mistake that you are where you are in life. You exist there, I exist there, so that the people that are in our lives have the opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. But when we look at them, do we see them that way? Is that what we see when we look at the people who are in our lives? Do we see them through kingdom eyes of of love and grace, or, or do we look at the mess that's in their yard, or the loud music that comes late at night? And those are the things that we know them and see them by, rather than the eyes that God has for them of love and compassion and grace. See, guys, it's a game changer if we begin to see the people around us this way. And all of a sudden, all those little circles begin to affect the big circle. So I want us to look at Matthew um, chapter 22 as well, because I think it's important to note that Jesus answers or gives the the same summary that this expert of the law gives. It says in in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look what he says in verse 40. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Now notice what Jesus is doing that's different. Because the Jewish leaders of the day are are taking the law that God gave and they're adding to it and multiplying it and making it bigger and giving people more to do. And what Jesus does is he takes all of that and he summarizes it into two simple things. Love God, love your neighbor. And then if we could do those two things, then we'd be doing a pretty good job at all of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? What does it contain? Because I think we, we read that and, and we first, we don't like to admit that we love ourselves, right? We don't want to be those people who are, are putting ourselves up high for everyone to see. And, and it's true, like may, maybe there are things that we don't like about ourselves. But I think when you get to the bottom of it all, we really, really, really love ourselves. I think most of our actions are are proof of this because they're pretty self-serving. I I think we do things for three main reasons. Number one, we do things that make us comfortable. This could be the house or the uh, the car or that $3,000 TV, whatever it may be. Like those, when we're investing in those things, like we're doing that to make us comfortable. We also, number two, do things to make us important. It could be at work that we're constantly striving after more and more and more, and we want the promotion and the promotion and the promotion. Or or it's how we push ourselves on on social media, where we want people to look at us and see us and and gain this kind of extra status that we didn't have before. And then number three, I think we do things to make us better. That's not always a bad thing, making us better, but what are our intentions behind it? Why do we want to be better people? We don't like to admit these things are true, but they're there, they're in our lives. And I think it's important that we're honest with ourselves. But then we have to take that truth about us and match it up with what Jesus says when he says, you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so when I look at my neighbor, it's important that I make this transition and I think about, you know what, well, how can I make my neighbor more comfortable? What can I make, what can I do to make my neighbor more important? What can I do to make the life of my neighbor better? And this is a huge shift, but it's one that Jesus calls us to very clearly as his people. That we look at our neighbors the way that we approach ourselves and we say, what can we do to bring the importance of our neighbors up to the same level that we have got ourselves sitting in in our lives? And Jesus says it's so important to the fact that all of the law and all the prophets, everything that's in the Old Testament depends on those things. And Paul takes it even further. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen to this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's huge. 
Because if what Paul says is true, we are living our lives so wrong. Consistently moving in the wrong direction. If what Paul says is true, this should wreck the direction of our lives in a thousand different ways every single day. The whole law depends on loving our neighbor as ourself. That we should be shifted away from us and begin to point the direction of our lives on the people that God has placed around us. But see guys, we like to view kingdom work on, on our terms so often. But the problem with doing that is it's not our kingdom. We're citizens of a kingdom and we serve a king who has a mission that he has given us. We don't do our own bidding. We don't do our own desires. We don't do the things that we want to do, but we do the bidding of our king and what he has called us to do. And what he has called us to do, we see clearly in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. As you are going, make disciples. As you go out to lunch with your coworker, make disciples. As you deal with that discipline issue with your kids, make disciples. As you take, invite your neighbor over for dinner, make disciples. See, guys, we don't get to choose who we make disciples of. God has already chosen that for us, and he's put us in the relationships that we are in for a reason. That's why who is my neighbor is the wrong question altogether. Because if you're in a relationship with someone, they are your neighbor. If you've ever interacted with them in any way or will interact with them in any way in the future, they are your neighbor. And God is calling you to love them towards Jesus. But for the sake of this series, we want to simplify it a little bit. And so we're going to focus on our literal neighbors. Now I know that biblically and scripturally... This idea of neighbor is, is so much more than the people who live next door to us. It, it's, it is our family, it's friends, it's people that we work with, it's people that we have interactions with at Walmart or whatever it may be. But we need a place to start. We need something to focus on, to, to give us some traction. And so we're going to start with our physical neighbors. Dig into this and, and hopefully and prayerfully we can learn to love them and disciple them And then that'll begin to carry over into our other relationships. So I've got a a few things that I want us to understand as we we start this series. Number one, God gave you your neighbors. God gave you your neighbors. You're there for a reason. You were sent there for a reason. You may not feel that way. You may be like, well, I like that house a lot, and so that's why we live there. But we serve a God who is behind everything that happens The Bible says that Jesus holds everything together. And so you were there for a reason. Jesus sent you there. And really, Jesus models this whole idea. Sometimes we talk about the incarnation, which is this this like churchy word for the fact that God became man, that Jesus came and he took on flesh and he walked among us. And so we see this happening in scripture. We see all of this, that Jesus left his, his privileged place next to the Father in heaven and came down to, to be one of us and to live among us. We see this idea in John chapter 1, which is a great read if you want to read more about the incarnation. But verse 14 of that um, says in the ESV, the translation that that. We use, and I'm preaching out of this morning. It says, in the word, and that means Jesus, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I don't often um, use uh, a passage of scripture from the message, which is a paraphrase. It's someone kind of taking the ideas of scripture 
and letting you kind of get a feeling for what's happening in the text. Um, but I want to read John 1.14 from the message this morning because I think it's pretty mind-blowing. It says this, it says, And the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. See, guys, Jesus moved into our neighborhood with a mission. Luke 19.10 tells us that the mission that Jesus moved into our neighborhood with was to seek and to save that which is lost. See, this is what the gospel is about. Jesus left heaven and he saw us broken and needing help and needing grace and needing love. And and he said, I'm going to be obedient to the Father and I'm going to go. I'm going to become like them. I'm going to experience the things that they experienced, feel the things that they felt. And then he gave his life for us. Jesus came on that mission to seek and save the lost. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, but you're getting this glimpse of him that he came and moved into the neighborhood here for you. And I hope if that's hitting home with you this morning that you'll find me or or Charlie or Will after service and, and come and talk to us about what that means for you. But in John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer to the Father. And he says this, he says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God, as you have sent me into the neighborhood, so I have sent them into their neighborhood. See, God moved Jesus into our neighborhood to seek and save what was lost. And guess what that means for you? That Jesus moved you into your neighborhood for the same purpose. You're not there because of the great house. You're not there for your comfort or for your pleasure, but you are there for the sake of the people who live around you. That they can have the opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. Number two, not everyone is your next door neighbor. Not everyone is your next door neighbor. I don't, this kind of confusing language as we think through this, but it's true. Like when you look at it, not everyone lives directly next door to you. You have the next door neighbors that you have for a reason because you are the one that's in relationship with them. That makes you the one that's responsible for them. Not just our whole church, although there is a responsibility that we've taken on for that. Not the whole church in general, but you. You're the one who lives right next to them and God has called you and sent you to them. And see, what happens when everybody is our next-door neighbor in our minds is that we kind of lose all sense of responsibility for them. We're like, well, somebody else will deal with it, or the the pastors of the church will handle it. Like, they've taken responsibility for this five-mile radius, so that means I don't have to do anything. But it's not true. You are the one that God has sent to them, and so you have responsibility for them. And you've got to feel the weight for that. Last Saturday, we were at um, Costco. We were doing some shopping, and we came out, and we noticed that it had started raining. And if you've ever been to Costco, like, you always have to park, like, five miles away. And so you're, like, on your way. We're on our way out in the rain, and we get, like, halfway there, and the bottom just drops out. And it starts pouring. And so we're, of course, rushing, and we get the girls in the car, and then you got to load all the groceries out of the cart into the back. And I'm standing there, and everybody's in the car, and I'm holding this cart. And... I don't know how many times I've ever felt this way in my life, but it's not a lot. But for one of the first times, I was like, like, somebody else will get this if I just put it right here. Like, the cart returns all the way down there, and it's pouring down rain. 
like, do I have to be the one to take this all the way over there in the pouring down rain? And see, I think that's the way that we feel sometimes about the people that God has sent us to. Like, somebody else is going to come along and take care of this. Like, do I have to be the one to go and express Jesus to these people? And the truth is, yes, because God has sent you there. Number three, it's love that makes you a neighbor. If you look at the rest of the story of the Good Samaritan, as Jesus begins it, it says in verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, a, a religious leader, when he, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came near to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said to him, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See, guys, love is what makes us a neighbor. It's the key to us becoming good neighbors to the people that God has put in our lives. And so the question really isn't, who is my neighbor? That was the wrong question, and it's ultimately not even really the answer that Jesus gave. The question should be, how do I love my neighbor? And that's what we're going to be unwrapping over the course of, of this series. Is how do we best love our neighbors? But... I think in, in order to get there, we still need to think about that first question and come up with the answer just for our, our own clarity. So you guys have in your seat a little sheet that says, who is my neighbor? If you can go and grab that. We're going to do an exercise. I realize this is three weeks in a row with a whiteboard, not normal for us, but um, we're going to do a little exercise. And I hope that, you know, this is probably going to be difficult for you to work through. It might even be convicting, and I think that's okay. I think it's good. Um, this has been called the chart of shame before. Now, I, I want to tell you, there's no one who's going to shame you. I'm personally going to shame myself in front of all of you, so hopefully that'll make you feel better. Nobody has to look at your paper but yourself. Um, but this exists, what we're going to do, just to help us get started. Help us identify some people in our lives and, and move us along the way. And so we're going to start. And in the middle of your thing, I'm a really terrible artist, so I'm not going to try and draw a house because everybody would make fun of me. But you have a house right here, and that's you, okay? That's your house. That's where you live. You can go ahead and write your name in there just to kind of clarify this. And then surrounding it, there are eight boxes. And those eight boxes are the eight people who live nearest to you in your life, who live closest to you. And, I, you know, you, your neighborhood might not be laid out this way. Mine's not laid out this way. And so to try and just literally map it out probably won't work. Your apartment might be different or your dorm or whatever it may be. Um, but just think about the eight people who live closest to you. Not the eight that you know the best, but the eight people who live closest to you wherever you live. And, and here's what we want to do with each one. We're going to do three things. Number one, we want to put their name. So if you know their name, first name, last name, Go ahead and write that in, um, first name and, and last name as we go along. So I'm going I'm to start with mine. Um, I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent just because I don't 
feel like airing all of my neighbor's stuff in front of all of you is necessarily helpful. So let's just say I've got John and Sally right here. Now John and Sally live literally kind of across the street in one house over from me. Number two, what I want you to do is to take some time and think about something that you know about them. It could be where they work or where they're from. Um, just anything that, that you might know about, about who they are. So for John and Sally, I know that um, John works with uh, like a company that works on gas, gas pumps at gas stations. Um, so he goes and repairs them when there's problems. And, and Sally is a teacher. So this is, this is what they do um, for a living. Um, John likes to play golf. Uh, you go on and on. But just some basic facts about them. And then number three... And I'm going to be incredibly vague here, too, just because, again, I don't want to get too deep into this. But um, for me, in front of all of you, but something personal, like kind of deep and personal that you know about them. It could be a struggle that you know that they've kind of walked through. could be a dream that they have in life. Something that was a deep conversation that gives you a little deeper insight into who they are. Um, so, yeah. So... Think about those three things as you're kind of going as you're kind of going through. And what we want to do is do this for all eight of our neighbors. Now, here's the reality of this: you are going to have some boxes that have nothing in them. That's okay, right? I have one of those boxes that has nothing in it. When Emily and I moved into our neighborhood, man, it's been almost 12 years. Like we literally spent the first two years living in that house where we didn't know anyone. And at some point, God really got a hold of our hearts and said, hey, you're not here for you. You're here for something else. Like, you've got to get to know these people and begin to get into a relationship with them. And so we worked then to become a little more intentional. So I'm going to kind of fill some more of, of this in for me, talking as I go. And I want you guys to go ahead and start working on that too. Like, fill some of that in, and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll keep pressing in. So um, for me, right across the street, uh, I've got Bobby and Sue. So I got Bobby and Sue. Bobby and Sue are both retired. So they're dealing just with kind of like issues of aging. We've had conversations about those things. Uh, over here, I gotta look at my fake names. I've got uh, Joe and Laura. Now, Joe works for a military contractor. Laura is a teacher. We have a lot of conversations just about family and how to parent and stuff like that. Um, kind of over here for me, I've got Elizabeth and Eric. They're newer, they have a daughter, they're into motorcycles. And honestly, we haven't got gotten super deep. Um, down here, I've got Doug and Emily. 
retired military? Doug and I had a conversation the other day about how people in this world just don't like to help anymore, and uh, kind of push that into kind of a gospel conversation. Now, this one's super convicting for me, because I've lived really close to these people. Of course, they're kind of on the other side of my fence, um, but I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, over here... Let's see. I've got Brian. Brian is really into dogs. He's got some one dog currently. And I got nothing else there. And then here, I've got Maddie and Mike. Now, Mike is currently uh, overseas, a military contractor. They've got kids in college. And that's what I've got. So, um, I don't know exactly what yours might look like, but no, I've got places to go. I have steps to take. I've got things to do. The goal of this is just to map this out for us and say, where do I need to go next? And so here's what I want to encourage you guys with this morning is I'm going to give you some homework. And it's not hard. It's super simple. All that I want you to do is to look at your list and identify two of those boxes that you say, I can take some next steps with them. And it could be if it's a blank box, and this one's, this is one for me, if it's a blank box to say, you know what, sometime over the course of this week, I'm going to walk over there and introduce myself and figure out their names, right? Like that's a simple step you could take. Or maybe you know their names, but you need to just have a conversation and figure out something else about them. Or maybe you need to go deep with a neighbor that you have a relationship with and you haven't done that. So just identify two of those boxes that you say, I want to take a next step in getting to know these people. And you don't even have to do it yet. Like that's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm just telling you to identify those two boxes And then, over the course of this week, I want you to begin to pray for them. I want you to begin to pray for them. I want you to pray for a relationship with them, that God would give you favor, that you could have the opportunity to have conversations with them in the future. And that's it. Identify them, begin to pray for them. And we're going to begin talking next week about what it means for us to take some next steps to build relationships with them. So this is important for us. And We know God has called us to it, and we want to be faithful to obey uh, as he has called us to. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do over the course of this series. I really, I want to take a minute, and I want to pray for my neighbors. I want to pray for your neighbors, and I hope you guys will take the chance right now to think about the names that are on your sheet and begin to pray for them even now as we finish. And I think it's kind of a fitting way for us to close today as we work to identify and begin to pray to say, God... I want you to do something. I want to be faithful to what you've called me to do. So give me what I need to take the next step that I need to take. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus to move into our neighborhood. God, that there are people whose lives were changed, that changed people's lives, that changed people's lives, and on and on and on and on and on. 
so that we could have the opportunity to come in relationship with you. And we realized that that would have never happened. We wouldn't be here this morning, likely, if someone hadn't said, I want to take the call of Jesus seriously. And so, God, I pray for us as a church that we would be willing to take those steps to say, you know what, I haven't been as faithful as I should be to this, God, but I realize that this is so important to your heart. And so, Lord, just with my few neighbors around me, Lord, help that be a place that I can start. And that I can faithfully love them so that they are able to see the hope and the love of Jesus through the way that I live. So, God, I pray for all the names that are written on paper right now.